So today we're going to continue the series that we started a couple of weeks ago. We're calling it Life Hacks. Life Hacks. Let me ask you a question. Did you know that life is not supposed to be so complicated? You ever thought about that? I know some of you, wrong church, you guys are like, no, absolutely not. Nope. I don't know what life you're talking about. I get it. Life is challenging. But the truth is that it's not supposed to be as complicated as we experience it. I'll tell you why. Because God has given us a life hack. Now, life hack is simply some sort of tip, technique, a strategy that gives us the ability to accomplish tasks easily, more efficiently. And according to the scriptures we've been seeing, it's called the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. See, God has what we need to simplify life. And I think that every one of us at the core of our hearts wants that. How many of you like easy? All right, some of you just straight line in church, right? You know you like easy. Come on, if you like easy. Yes, we like easy. Everybody wants the shortest path to the longest distance in life. But that starts with wisdom. It reminds me of a story I once heard of this guy named Jack. This guy, Jack, was walking alongside a steep cliff one day when he accidentally got too close to the edge, and he ends up falling. And on the way down, he has to grab hold of a branch, which temporarily stopped his fall. And so he looked down, and to his horror, the canyon was another thousand feet, and it was sure, he was sure that he was going to die. So he couldn't hang on to the branch forever, so he does the smart thing. What do you think he did? He started crying out for, oh my God, I would let you die if you cried out like that. Let's try that again. He started crying out for what? Help! Help! He starts crying out for help, right? There was no way for him to climb up this steep wall of the cliff. And so he begins crying out for help, hoping that somebody would hear him and lower a rope or at least do something. And so he cries out, help! 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 Is anyone there? Help! And he continues to yell for a long time, but no one heard him. And just when he was about to give up and call it quits, he hears a voice. And the voice cries out, Jack! Jack! Can you hear me? Hear me! Hear me! Hear me! Come on, get into, get into the story, ladies and gentlemen. Right? There's a canyon around us, right? And he says, yes, yes, I can hear you. I can hear you. I'm down here. I'm down here. He says, I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? He goes, yes. But who are you? And, 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 and where are you? I can't see you. And he says, I'm Lord Jack. I'm everywhere, 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 everywhere. He goes, Lord? Wait, you, you mean like, you, you, you mean God? And he says, that's me. God, please, please, God, please help me. I promise if you help me, you'll, if you get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll go to church every single week. I'll, get, I'll help people. I'll do everything that I can. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And God says, easy on the promises, Jack. Let's get you down from here first, and then we can talk. Now, here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. I'll do anything, Lord, anything. Just tell me what to do. Just save me. Help me. He says, okay. Let go of the branch. He says, what? What? I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me. 
let go of the branch. There was a long silence. And then finally Jack yelled out, Help! Help! Is there anyone else out there? As funny as this story is, you know, the truth is that we can all relate to it. Let me tell you why. Because everyone faces this issue of trust when it comes to God. Yeah, it's challenging. We all endure these seasons, maybe you're going through one now, where trusting God just doesn't make sense. I mean, let's be honest here. Have you ever struggled to trust God? You ever struggled, right? About three of you are on your way to heaven, the rest of you, you know, we're going to get you saved today. Listen, we all struggle with trusting God at times. It happens to us all. No one's exempt. Right? Have you ever struggled to follow the instruction that you see in the scriptures? Right? All of us have. And like Jack in this story, we all need God's help. But friends, God's help doesn't always make sense. It just doesn't. God says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In other words, I don't operate at your level. He doesn't operate according to our understanding. And he certainly isn't restricted to our plans. He's not. And so one of the reasons why it doesn't make sense, the way God operates, when God extends a hand to help to us, is because we tend to rely on what we see, what we know, what we hear, what we experience. Isn't that true? But how many of you know, you ever trust your gut, and you swore you were right? I mean, you trust it. I just know that I know that I know. And then afterwards, you're going, ay, 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 ay. How, how did this happen? Duh! We trusted our own experience. We trusted our own understanding. My point with that is that when we mistrust God, when we misplace our trust, and we place it in things, we place it in people, we place it in money, we place it in possessions, or whatever may have you, when we do that, we're holding on to things that actually limit us, friends. They limit us because they come at the expense of what God wants us to wants to do through us and for us to help us obtain this place of freedom. And the truth is this, friends. We all need to look at who we're trusting. Let me ask you a question just as we get started this morning. Who are you placing your trust in? Who are you placing your trust in? Some of us don't even think about that, but we should. Today, I want to talk to you directly from the heart of God. I want us to look to the scriptures. I'm not here to give you an opinion, but we, we're going to look at the scriptures and consider the truth that they reveal as we talk on the topic of the straight path, the straight path. Believe it or not, there is a direct path in life. There is a path that provides us, a simp it simplifies things. There's a path that leads us directly to God intended purposes. There's a path that provides us better results. Now that does not mean that we are exempt from trouble. But life gets complicated when we complicate the process. When we begin to do it our way or we begin to try and help God. You ever said, God help me? And then you go and pick up your own ideas and try and help God along the way, right? As if the power in heaven went out, right? as if God didn't pay the light bill, right? Like he doesn't know what he's doing, right? We've all done that, but there is a path that can lead us directly to God's intended purposes. And I don't want you to take my word for it. 
I want us to look to the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to read verses 5 and 6, starting at verse 5. It says, do what? Trust. That was weak. Hold on, let's try that again. It says what? Trust. In who? In who? In the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord. That word trust there is very interesting because that word trust means to find security or go to a place of shelter, a place of covering a place of security, a place where we know I'm good. And so it tells us trust in the Lord with what? With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know what the Bible tells us to lean not on our own understanding? Because it's not stable. It won't hold up the test of time. It won't last for the long run. Right? And so it goes on to tell us that in all our ways we should submit to him. That we should acknowledge God and that he will make our paths what? Straight. Straight. That word straight there is very interesting, but it's not a straight path. It's talking about a direct, level, and smooth ride for the distance. It's talking about a path that gives us the smoothest, the, 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 the most secure path to what God has for us. Again, that does not mean that there will not be challenges. So in other words, what we see is that we can arrive at God's intended best with minimal loss, with minimal complications, because God gives us a straight path. I think of it this way. Trusting in God is a lot like trusting your GPS, right? Now, let me be honest. Let's, let's just acknowledge the truth. Even GPSs make mistakes, right? But just, just track with me here. Get where I'm coming from here, right? I, I have always wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. Always. I really want to go to the Grand Canyon. If it's on a motorcycle, it's even better. Right? I really want to go to the Grand Canyon. I would love to go there. But you see, to go to the Grand Canyon, because I've never been there, I need help. Would you agree? Right? We all would need help to get there. Right? Now, for some of us, there are different alternatives that we would seek. Right? One of those would be a map. Some of you look at me like I'm crazy. You're going, what is a map? Right? I get it. Maps are outdated. Many people don't use maps. It's a piece of paper. It has directions. It lays it all. Anyway, that was a lot funnier in my head. Anyway, maps, right? We can use a map. But see, the thing is a map would not lead us on a straight path. You know why? Because a map cannot foresee complications along the way. A map cannot tell you things like traffic congestion. It can't give us an idea. It won't warn us about accidents that are ahead. It, won't, it can't plan for detours along the way. We can also do this one. Hispanics like me are notorious for this. I got this. We're going to do it my way. Right? And we will just wing it. And so you'll jump in a car and you'll go, well, let's just go west. It's somewhere west. We'll figure it out. Now, we could do that, right? We could go west and hope that we'll get there, but it will not lead us on a straight path, a direct path, a smooth path. Why? Because we would have no real sense of direction of where we're going outside of the fact that we're going west. We would have no assurance of where we're going and what's actually ahead along the way. Or we could use GPS. Right? How many of you want to go to the Grand Canyon with me? Right? Cool. Just make sure you're paying for your own bill. I'm not paying for you. Right? But according to ways, hey, let's go. According to ways, right? We should get paid for this because this is being recorded. Ways we are advertising for you for free. 
it would take us 33 hours and 13 minutes, 2,435 miles to get to the Grand Canyon, right? You know what I love about Waze? Although it makes mistakes, Waze recalculates along the way. It tells you if traffic has changed. It gives you different options. It tells you, hey, I found a path for you that's going to get you there seven minutes earlier, right? Hey, there's traffic coming up. We're going to go this way. It always finds the smoothest, the most direct path to get there. And friends, trusting in God is a lot like that too. Why? Because we can't foresee what's ahead, but God can. God can. And that teaches us something. It teaches us that trust in God will never lead us wrong. Trust in God will never lead you wrong. Let me say that again. Trust in God will never lead you wrong. Friends, experience will lead us wrong. Friends will lead us wrong. Maps will lead us wrong. Our own ideas will lead us wrong. The opinions of people will lead us wrong. Right? Our own, our, our, the, 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 all the resources and the experts that we rely on. How many of you know experts may be experts in a field? The experts still make mistakes, right? But we serve a God that the scripture says is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. In other words, he's in your past, he knew you then when you didn't want him. He's in your present even while we struggle at times, and he's definitely waiting for you in your future. He's the God who leads you according to his grace. He's the God who's predestined you into good works. He's the God that loves you and has greater things in store for you. Come on and give God some praise if you believe that this morning. But you see, this issue of trust is important, friends. It's important. It's important. There came a day when practically everyone in Israel rejoiced at the coming of Jesus. They were excited that Jesus was coming. They were elated at the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on this day. Jesus was entering in on a donkey. And the people, the scripture says, began to cry out in a loud voice, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They were so excited, they were so moved emotionally that they began to pull palm tree leaves off the trees all around them and they began to wave them in the sky and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they began to throw them on the path before him as he entered in. And what they were declaring with that statement was save us. Hosanna means save us. It's a plea for help. They were saying help us, but they weren't just saying help us. They were saying help us, the one who's come in the name of the Lord. Help us, O King of Kings. Help us, Messiah. Help us. You are the promised Christ. And so they were declaring that Jesus had come and that they were and they were they were crying out to him saying help us. And it would appear that these people were doing something amazing. Let me tell you why. Because in ancient times, palm branches such as this one, they represented strength. They were a symbol of goodness and well-being. They were a symbol of grandeur and, and steadfastness and victory. And they were often depicted on coins and even on important buildings. If you look at uh, when Solomon had the temple built, he had palm trees inscribed, engraved into all the stone all over it. It was a, it was a cry of, of victory. He was declaring the steadfastness and goodness and strength of God. And so palm branches were regarded as tokens of joy and triumph, and they were customarily used in, on festive occasions, 
right? And kings and conquerors were known to be welcomed with palm branches after their great victories as they were scattered before them uh, as they entered in and they waved them in the air. And so in laying these palm leaves before Jesus' path, in crying out, in waving them high as he entered Jerusalem, the people were declaring that under the leadership of Jesus was come strength, was come goodness, was come victory to Israel. But you see, their reception of Jesus was not as the Messiah. Listen closely. They were crying out to Jesus as a political leader. They were, they, were, they were claiming, they were saying, help us. You're the one that's going to set us free from the harsh rule of Rome. You're the one who's going to put us back on top where we belong. You're the one that's going to break the bondage that's, uh, of yoke that's over us. And so they were looking at Jesus as a political leader. And what this tells us is that they were trusting Jesus to be the one who would deliver them from Rome's harsh rule, but they weren't trusting in him. And you know, we've all done that. Let me tell you how. You ever say, oh God, help me! Right? Only when you need help. You ever turn to God only when you need an answer. You ever seek after God only when things are going wrong? See, we've all been there, friends. As a matter of fact, sometimes we drop the ball that way. We just go to God when we need something, when we want something. And while we are trusting in his ability to provide for us, we're not trusting in the God who provides for us. We're not trusting him as God. And so you might be, you, some of you may have been expecting coming in today, oh, we're going to have all these palms. Let me tell you why specifically I told the staff. They said, Pastor, are we going to put out the palms? I said, no. Let me tell you why we didn't put them out this year. Because I want us to reflect and connect with this fact that sometimes we do this as a symbol. Right? We do religious things. Right? We do what tradition calls for. But the heart isn't in it. The heart isn't in it. See, God isn't after our religious activity, friends. He's not after our behavior modification. No, he wants our whole heart, right? And so how can we avoid misplacing our trust in God? How can we shift from insincere trust to a trust that takes us beyond what we want and fully depends upon God? And I'm glad you asked that question because it leads me right to our first point. Again, I'm not giving you an opinion here. I want us to see what the scriptures say. But the first point I want to propose to us for reflection and also for application, let's do something with this. The first point I want to propose to us is that trusting God takes the whole heart. It takes the whole heart. The whole heart. Now, I'm not talking about that muscle beating in our chest. It's not what we're talking about here. When the scripture refers to the heart, it's talking about the seat of our passions, of our desires, of our beliefs. It's the central point of our lives. It's where everything is derived from. Jesus said, where your heart is there, your treasure will also be. In other words, it's what causes us, it's what drives us to pursue things in life. And notice that Proverbs 3 tells us that for 
the person who's going to find the straight path, that we must trust in the Lord with all our hearts. All our hearts. Now that doesn't mean that we become the Jesus Jr. super religious person that everything's about, oh my God, I just need to do everything in Jesus. I keep Jesus and everything in Jesus, 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 Jesus. Never mind, you forget your kids, you forget your job. You just live on love and you live on grace. That's not what I'm talking about. But friends, it is possible to love someone so much that everything you do is for them. It's possible to love someone so much that every decision you make revolves around them. I'll prove it to you. How many parents do we have here? Case in point, you know what I'm talking about. Case in point, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have a wife, right? Have a fam family member, people you love, right? You make decisions around them. Now, I'm not saying that we are absolved of responsibilities. No, we have to keep those responsibilities. But what I'm saying to you is that you can love your wife according to the way that Jesus teaches us to love. You can raise your children and, and teach your children in a way that honors Jesus, right? You can make decisions for your business that are right and, and, and are according to the wisdom of God. See, keeping Jesus at the center is a lot like having north on a compass. Wherever you go, you're always going to have that north that pulls you back and tells you, this is the way. And so when we give Jesus our whole heart, when everything is about Jesus, when we trust God with the whole heart, we consider his wisdom in everything. In everything. That's trusting him with the whole heart. But the thing is, how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we completely trust in God? And Jesus gives us great wisdom in this regard in Matthew 7, starting at verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. The term narrow gate there in the original language speaks of a straight. It's not talking about a straight path. What it's talking about is a straight, like any of you ever heard of the Straits of Gibraltar, right? It's this eight-mile uh, uh, path that connects the Atlantic Ocean to the Mediterranean Ocean. It, it, it connects, it, it, on one side is Africa, on the other side is Europe. And you have these thousands of miles of open ocean and land, and all of a sudden you get this really narrow path where there are cliffs and mountain ranges on both sides, and all you can do is go one by one as ships. See, following Jesus requires us going down the narrow gate. Start envisioning that. He says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that does what? That leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But watch this. Verse 14 says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? To life. And only a few find it. Why would Jesus tell us that? What is it about this narrow path that leads us to life? Friends, here's the reality, that in life, when you've got room for everything and everyone, when you've got room for this person and that person and money and, and, and all these responsibilities and accolades and status and all these desires, and you carry all these things along the journey of life, following Jesus becomes difficult. Why? Because you can't have Jesus and everything else. Listen closely. The narrow path says, as you follow Jesus, the focus becomes clear. I don't need these things that are a distraction. 
I don't need these things that, that, that hinder me from the path to life. And so following Jesus really calls for things dying. That's the hard part. That's the hard part to it. Listen, trusting in God takes going down a narrow path that squeezes in and clarifies what's most important. What's most important. And so the path to follow God starts off wide. Because there's room for everyone. There's room for everything. There's room for all this experience. God loves you right there, friends. But God loves you enough not to leave you there. See, as long as we can carry all these other things that pull at our heart, we have the potential to follow after other things. And so Jesus wants us to follow him down this narrow path. And one of the best ways to understand what it takes and what happens in this narrow path comes out of the words of Jesus in John chapter 12, starting at verse 24. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, in other words, I'm not lying to you. He's saying you can trust what I'm about to say to you. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. He says it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What is Jesus getting at here? Let's leave that up there for a moment. What Jesus is talking about is the process of a wheat kernel where the outer shell has to die from the seed. It has to wither away so that the life contained in it can begin to spring forth. And so what Jesus is saying to you and I is this. Listen, unless those things on the outer shell, the things that we thought life was all about, the things that distract us and detract us from this narrow, this straight path, unless those things begin to fall away, the life that I've given you can't be multiplied to you. It can't be multiplied to you. Now, here's a sobering thought, friends. You and I are the seed, but it's up to us to plant ourselves. Question. Where are you planting yourself? Where are you planting your trust? Because according to what you plant, that you will reap. And what we see here that is so encouraging is that God wants to multiply unto us life. Amen? Amen. See, you know, I, I would struggle to follow Jesus if what the scripture said, what it, what it gave us as an example was that it was to our detriment. Like, I would, I would not be following Jesus if, if it was to hurt me. I think any one of us would agree with that, right? Who's going to follow someone that you know wants to harm you? What we see in the scripture is that Jesus wants to embellish. He wants to uh, uh, give us, uh, uh, add to our lives. He wants to bless us in greater measure. He wants to show you the true essence and purpose of life. It's worth following him. And yes, it will get narrow. And yes, it will get tight. And yes, you, some things may not fit with you. But here's the point. The reason why the path is narrow is because there's only room for you and Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
We don't need anything else. The second point that I want to encourage us with is that trust in God requires confidence that God knows what is unknown to us. Let me say that again. If you're truly going to trust God, then we have to trust this. God knows what I don't. God sees what I can't. God has a plan before I ever think I have one, before I ever conjure up one. These people were expecting a conquering king. They were expecting Jesus to show up with an army. They, they thought that Jesus was announcing that I'm coming through and we're going to destroy Rome. And Jesus instead came as a humble king on a donkey. He didn't even come in in a Cadillac. They didn't have Cadillacs back then. <laughs> they didn't have them back then. My point is, he, he wasn't operating the way they expected. Right? And friends, here's the truth. If you're going to trust God, he's never going to fit himself into your box. The, the scripture tells us that God is able to do it immediately, above and beyond what we ask or imagine. You know why it tells us that? Because our thoughts and our imaginations are too small. They're too limited. Our ideas of how God should be operating in our life and what, should he, what he should be doing in our life do not fit the plans of God, friends. And so, therefore, the onus is on us to go beyond, to trust that God knows what we don't and he sees what we can't. And this is why the scripture tells us clearly that we cannot lean on our own understanding. We cannot. We cannot. Why? Because trusting our understanding for life, to make it in life, is like living, like going on a journey without a GPS. You're not going anywhere. You're going somewhere, but you're going aimlessly. And you'll never get to your intended path. See, God doesn't need sense to make sense out of our lives but what he does need is our confidence see trust requires confidence I'm reminded of a portion of scripture in this moment the book of Hebrews where it talks about this hope that we have in Jesus and it says that this hope is the anchor to our soul right you know what confidence and trust does it keeps us grounded when nothing makes sense. I remember years ago, we went uh, with some friends on their boat, and uh, we were hanging out, and I remember I had crutches back then. My leg was all wrapped up because I'm super competitive. We went bowling, and I, I swore I was like a PGA bowler, and I'm not. I can barely get a strike, right? But I threw the ball real hard and ended up slipping and tore my leg up, right? So we're sitting on this, uh, this boat, and my kids... We're there, and, and, and uh, my kids wanted to get in the water. And so I was like, all right, get in the water, but stay close to the boat. I don't want you swimming all the way out there, right? So we're hanging out for a couple hours, and all of a sudden, I, I kind of look up, and my kids are way, way out there. And I got mad at them. What did I tell you guys? Get over here, 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 here. <laughs> Come here, right? I was all upset at them. And then all of a sudden, John, the owner of the boat, our friend, he says, he says, he's like, Mary, did you drop the anchor? And she goes, oh, my God, I forgot. 
I'm bendito. Right? Well, we turn the boat around and we do it. My point with that is this. Listen. An anchor keeps you from drifting away. Trust in God. Confidence in God keeps you from drifting to places that you were never intended to be. We should trust God. We should trust God. He sees more than we do. I remember when I was a kid, um, man, I grew up in church, but it was not peaches and creams, to be honest with you. Um, I felt as a kid, oftentimes, that I was like, we were that family that everybody else saw the blessing of God, but we wouldn't see it. I, I really believed that, you know, like, it, it, it was good enough for other people, but it wasn't for us. You see, in my home, there was violence all the time. I grew up watching my mother get beat by this man that she was in a relationship with. He would come in drunk every day, and I would get into fist fights with this guy four or five times a week. It, it was just a bloody nose, seven, eight years old. It was chaos. We, we communicated at one, at one decibel in our family. Everything was yelling. Every reaction was violent. It was in anger. Everything was dysfunctional. And so now we come to Jesus... Right? And I begin to see my mother really putting her trust in Jesus. And things are beginning to change little by little. I'm seeing this hard woman be, start to get soft you know, in, towards a, a, an understanding, a trust in God. But for me, it wasn't making sense because nothing was turning around. But my mother saw something that I didn't. My mother saw something that none of us saw. She saw a day of redemption. She saw that God could take ashes and give us a crown of beauty like the scripture says. She believed what the scripture said that what the locusts eaten, that he will return to you, that he will restore to you. You know locusts, what those insects do? They don't just eat a harvest. They eat it to the root. Nothing's coming back. And God says, I'm the God that restores to you what the locust has eaten. When nothing made sense, when anger prevailed, when hurt was common, when dysfunction was normal. Listen, God was working in the midst. The scripture tells us in Romans 8 that he is the God that works out all things for our good according to his purposes unto those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Listen to me. God is not done with you. You may not see it. It may not make sense. You may not feel it, but you must trust this. God knows you in your yesterday. He's working in your today, and he's got a good future for you into your tomorrow. He's predestined you into good work. He is faithful to complete what he started. I didn't get it as a kid, man. I really didn't. It did not make sense to me. But my mother did something that till this day now is a bedrock in my life. This is a life scripture for me. Psalm 37 verses 5 and 6 says this. It teaches us about confidence in God. It says, commit your way to the Lord. The word way there is not talking about a walk. It's talking about a long journey. In essence, it's referring to life. It's saying, commit your life to the Lord. In other words, I'm committed to you, God. I'm committed to your ways. I'm committed to your wisdom. I'm committed to what your word is showing me. No matter what it feels like, no matter what people say, no matter how things may go haywire, I'm committed to you. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Trust in him. Listen, if you put it in his hands, you must trust that by his hand, he will work it out. 
It says, trust in him and he will do this. Do what? Verse 6 says, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. You know what the scripture is telling us? You know what God is declaring to us? When it's dark, you must trust that I will make light out of darkness. When it looks like you can, you must trust that I am the God that can do all things. That what's impossible for man and is impossible for you is possible for me. That's the God that we serve. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that we cannot trust in God if we do not entrust all to him. If we don't put it all in his trust, then it's a hard thing. Because for some of us, there are areas of our lives that we hold too dearly for control. We're convinced if I just work a little bit harder, if I just put in more hours, if I just try a little bit more, if I just continue to do this, if I just work, 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 to the bone, 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 bone. Right? My bad. Sorry, I, I went way back. I didn't belong there. Let me, let me bring it back over here. If I just work myself to the bone, then, then I'm going to be all right. And friends, that's a lie. Yes, sir. That, is a, that is a lie. There came a moment in the life of this guy named Simon Peter. It was at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus shows up this one day at a seashore, and there, there's countless people there. Man, they're seeking true life. They're seeking something different. They want to really encounter God. And as they're on this seashore, the scripture says that Jesus wisely gets into Peter's boat. You know why? Because Peter's boat was still in the water. And he understood that the effect of water behind him would help carry his voice even further. But you see, Peter and his friends were washing their nets. It was the end of their toil in trying to catch some fish. The problem is their nets were empty. What that meant was there was no income for the day. What that meant was probably maybe the kids won't eat today. Don't know exactly how we're going to pay this bill. Don't know exactly how we're going to make it. And so they're washing their nets. And for people that grew up as fishermen like Peter, because in those days you didn't choose to be a fisherman. You grew into your occupation. It was generational. And so for someone like Peter to have no fish was a defeat. A loss. Peter's washing his nets. Jesus gets in his boat and he begins to teach these people. And after he's done, he turns to Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, pull your boat out and go out into the deep. And let's go out for a catch. You got to understand what that means for Peter in this moment because you see, Peter had been toiling all night. Peter's an expert at fishing. The fish aren't biting. We tried all night long. We went to all the, the watering holes. We went to every single spot where the fish was supposed to be. There's no fish there. But Peter does something that we would be wise to do. Listen to what Luke chapter 5, verse 5 says. It says that Simon answered. This is Peter. He says, Master, Master, we've worked hard all night. 
We have nothing to show for it. We've tried our plan, man. We, we, we've done this. We know what we're doing. We have nothing to show for it. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. The word master here is very interesting because the original language denotes it to be one who is an overseer. In essence, here's what it's saying. You see more than I see. You know something I don't. You have insight that I lack. Get what Peter did. He gave up his life in that moment. He gave up his nets. He gave up his boat. He gave up his experience. He gave up everything. And he says, because you say so, let's go do this. Friends, what does that teach us? That when we entrust to God everything that we have, my friend, you ain't even ready for this. You have no idea the God that we serve. He is still the God that does exceedingly abundantly above beyond what we could ask or imagine. He is still the God that sees what we do not see and knows what we do not know. He is still the God that promises a great reward if we continue to seek Him. He is the God that sees all things and knows all things and can do all things. And He invites us to place our trust in Him. Listen to me. Peter didn't give Jesus his boats. Peter gave Jesus his trust. And trust in God will never fail. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Trust in God will never fail. As we stand here and we come to a close, I want you to consider this. Put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. In the natural, it made no sense. Do you have any business owners in the house? Wave at me if you're a business owner. Do you have any parents in the house? Wave at me. If, right? Do you have anybody who's embarked on something that you did not know the details? Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was being a parent. Maybe it was a marriage. Right? Maybe it was a business. See, we all understand what it is to trust in areas that we can't see. But friends, here's the truth, that when you put your trust in God, you don't have to see. You just have to know God's got it under control. Amen? Amen. Come on and give God some praise if you believe that this morning. Hmm. As we come to a close today, we got to get back to the beginning. Trust in the Lord. Hear the voice of the Lord. Trust in me with all your heart. Stop leaning on your understanding. Your understanding is full of fears. It's based on limits. It's based on your experience. It's based on what you've seen and what you've known. And God says, trust in me. Not on your understanding. 
in all your ways, acknowledge me. I'm here. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I have your best in mind. I care for you more than you, more than people around you care for you. I am the God who sees you and knows you. The one who's called you and sustained you. I'm the God who loves you. I'm the one who will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am always with you till the end of the age. When people fail you, I will not fail you. When people turn away from you, I will remain with you. When people give up on you, I'm still holding you up. I'm still convinced about the good work that I started in you. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.